0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard. Please fasten your seatbelts at this time. Turn your electronic devices for the 2kg podcast. Enjoy your journey with us. Thank you.
1: Hi, we are Handen. And Sian. As we are focusing on Asian hate crime for our podcast, we'll be broadening the topic into general racism. Moreover, this month is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Remembering important history and knowledge about AAPI's culture, there are a few ways to enjoy this month, like exploring AAPI history, try origami, make an Asian dish, or I think make, make like a bubble tea called boba, yeah.
0: All right. And today we have a special guest to continue our topic. Um, Chalen do you mind introducing yourself to our listeners?
2: Of course. So, hey, everybody. Uh, my name is Chalen Simpson. I'm a junior from the United States, and I'm also a classmate with Sion. So that's awesome. Uh, and yeah. it's so great to be on, and thank you guys for having me.
1: Great. Thank you for that. And before we start, I would like, to ask you the motivation or event that made you have interest in this topic, racism?
2: Okay, great. Yeah, so I was pretty much always interested in politics as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. Growing up, I loved reading. I loved learning about just like the environment we lived in. Uh, though I was yeah. always kind of like naturally drawn to that. Um, mm-hmm. But I feel like the events that occurred in 2020, specifically with uh, the summer of 2020, and the Black Lives Matter protests were, I guess, yeah, of kind course. of, like, the main the main jumping-off point for me to be able to, like, thrust myself completely into, you know, getting educated about race, getting educated about issues that, you know, I was not aware of before then, and just, like, you know, thrusting myself into this new world of knowledge.
1: Oh, like, when was your first time to take action for this kind of topic?
2: Um, So, actually, my first time was before... 2020 it was actually either in 2018 or 2019 um oh, mm-hmm. uh my school has an african-american awareness club and i joined that because mm. i wanted to be in an environment of people who like looked like me and people that kind of like knew the same struggles i was going through because obviously like i live in texas it's a very like yes. you know conservative state mm-hmm. um a lot of people here aren't as friendly to minorities just in general so it's nice to always have that community of people that you know, you're able to, I guess, kind of have that connection with.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I definitely agree. And Texas is a conservative state. I never even knew about that because I live in California. And in California, things are, I think, very different. And even though we do have like a lot of conservative people, there's more people that are like a little bit more giving in to all the racial minorities. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, And during the process of recruiting you into our podcast, um, I first heard like the NAACP. And do you mind telling us about what that is and any details about it?
2: Of course, yeah. So the NAACP is an organization that I'm in, and it's uh, it actually stands for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and its mission is to ensure the political, educational, social, and economic equality of all of rights of all persons, and to eliminate race-based discrimination. Um, and that's its broad mission. But just some examples of like, I guess uh further like more tightening like impact that it had has on communities. Yeah. Um basically a lot of the work I do, uh, for context, I'm in the um the youth chapter of the NAACP and we focus a lot on like getting young people to vote and helping out with midterm oh. elections and running drives and things like that. Um but the NAACP generally um spends its money and funds on things like bail funds for black people who may have been you know wrongfully arrested and you know giving them um, lawyers or they go into communities and they like after hurricane katrina for example they went into a bunch of different communities and helped specifically like the black people that were suffering there um yeah. and it's basically uh, an organization that gives a voice to the voiceless and i think what's awesome about the NAACP uh, as well is that it was founded by a bunch of civil rights leaders including w.e.b. Du Bois. Mary White Ovington, and Ida B. Wells, who are, like, staples Mm -hmm. of Black history. So it was founded by Black people for Black history and for the advancement of Black people, which I think is amazing.
1: Yeah, that is amazing. That is awesome. And what's the best experience by, like, from NAACP as a member?
2: Um, I'd say the best experience that I've had personally is... Mm -hmm gosh there's so there's so many but one that comes in yes. my particularly is um we had a event in i've had to believe it was like october of 2020 where we had to basically uh-huh. uh help help uh we're targeting minorities specifically we went to minority communities and we had to help them i guess like get registered to vote um, um and i think that's awesome because you know there's a lot of um and a lot of people aren't aware of this but there's a lot of uh, gosh, I'm trying to find like the right word for this loopholes, I guess <laughs> would be the right word for it that yeah. prevent mm-hmm. minorities, specifically like black in in Texas, specifically it prevents like Latinos, uh, black people yeah. from mm-hmm. being able to, you know, go into the voting pool and actually being able to cast their vote because of really, really like egregious laws that are so convoluted to explain it. So like messed up basically that are discriminatory. And they're, mm-hmm. they're all legal, and it sucks. So our mission on that day was basically to go in those communities and make sure that, you know, tell people that there is a way, no matter, like, your past criminal history, no matter yeah. your income, anything like that, that there always is a way to vote. And that was our main goal. winning, right, and yeah. we got people to sign up to vote, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, that is so amazing. Like, that is literally motivational, too. And, <laughs> you know... You gave speech to us in school, and I was literally inspired by your speech. And can you briefly uh, explain you. what you covered, like for your speech for people who could not have the amazing opportunity to <laughs> listen to you?
2: Of course. yeah. so um in my speech, I basically uh, rec- occurred or like recurred simple um, experiences throughout my life that had to mm-hmm. deal with racism. Like um I just kind of went over those experiences and how they changed me and how I was affected by them both negatively. And sometimes even positively, how I learned to kind of grow myself from those experiences, how I learned to better myself, how I learned yeah. to fight for myself and how I learned to, you know, kind of grow from those experiences. And, you know, it's not. Mm-hmm. it was not only based on like my own experiences of racism as well, uh, but it was also based on the collective experiences of, you know, my yeah. family of um, other Black people who do not have the strength to tell their experiences because of trauma, Black people who aren't even alive to to tell their experiences of racism it's for it's for them as well which i think is like so important to tell the stories of people that don't have the power to tell the stories themselves
1: oh uh, yeah you're right also besides history what do you think about the uh, kind of like major reason the racism is kind of like number one thing issue
2: you right know? so uh, yeah. i definitely think there is a linkage between like um, geography and racism, and also, I guess, kind of like mental, a mental kind of uh, linkage between there as well. Um, yeah. I would like to start off by saying that literally no one is born racist. There is not a single person in the world that is You're born right. mm-hmm. a racist person or is born a bad person. Um, but what is wrong with it? I think a, a, a large, like, a portion of people that grew up to be racist, it's actually because of their, you know, models in life, or the yes, mm-hmm. environment that they grew up around. um An example of this: like, let's say you have a white child who grows up playing with only white dolls. They see only white characters on TV. They mm-hmm. they grow up in an all white neighborhood. As soon as they see someone that's different than them, they're gonna assume in their mind they're gonna form that linkage that okay, that's unknown to me, and then that forms that kind of like uh that I guess link I guess between like you know of superiority, and that's kind of like, how racism is stemmed off and how people, like, are inadvertently becoming, you know, racist through, like, these, these mental, these mental connections that no one's even, Mm -hmm. like, talking about, um, and, you know, I guess while we're on that topic of, like, representation as well, uh, we could connect this to, I guess, how, you know, minorities are seen on TV, um, today I was watching an interview, um, I'm not sure if you guys know who Sandra O oh is. But she's from like Grey's Anatomy uh, shows Yay! like that. I, really oh, I know her. her. I love I her. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. Um, and she was like talking about her experiences in the acting industry as an Asian woman. And yes, she talked yeah. about how all of her life she had only seen racist depictions of Asian characters that you know were martial artists or they served primarily as background characters. And she mm, described yeah. in particular one experience with the casting director. Um And that casting director labeled her incorrectly as Chinese when she is, in fact, a Korean woman. um mm-hmm. And I feel like that's, like, a big contributor because, like, a lot of people say, like, Chinese is just, like, a monolith for all Asian people. Yes, and that's right, yeah. without even, like, recognizing their mistake. And that perception mm-hmm. contributes to, like, there's why there's so much discrimination because uh, people aren't corrected. People aren't, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. aware that that's, like, an incorrect thing to say, you know, because... A lot of people, unfortunately, say that, you know?
1: Yeah, you're correct, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that also, one of your introduction of your speech was about microaggression. And can you explain yes, about
2: Yes, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, so microaggressions are kind of like these really, really small moments that, you know, once you're, like, uh, me personally, I wasn't educated on microaggressions until, like, 2019 or 2020. But then, like, once you're educated on microaggressions and you learn what they are, then you yeah. never stop noticing what they are, you know? Um, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And some examples of microaggressions are, I guess, like, um, you might be followed in a store one day, and you and you might in your mind think, oh, that's weird. But then later you think you'll realize, like, oh, it's because, you know, I'm a black man. Or, you know, you'll walk by someone on the street, and they'll cross the street uh, for seemingly no reason because they're going the same direction as you. Um, mm-hmm. or they'll say like I know me personally I've gotten this a lot like I didn't expect you to sound so proper based on how you look and that's like first off that's not only racist but it's extremely yeah. insulting right? Um, that's right
1: Yeah,
2: and it's just like small moments like those that are like that are I guess kind of add mm-hmm. up to these like really and I don't know I learned recently that like even though they're called microaggressions these mm-hmm. aren't micro experiences these are experiences that have the potential to traumatize a bunch of a large group of people at once and have a have potential to kind of ruin a bunch of people's experiences day to day and a lot of people don't realize that
1: yeah some are not even micro it's big and major one yes
2: exactly
0: yeah i definitely agree with that um and um what you said about like the connection between environment and geography between racism was very interesting. And I was also wondering if you find any relationships between psychology and racism.
2: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, You know, as I said earlier, it's a lot of like these psychological um, reasons why, why, you know, specifically like racist white people in specific uh, specific, like they think that you know they're superior than other races is because they were you know bred from a young age to believe that as i said before through the media like seeing seeing depictions of people in media that only look like you or or example or for example, seeing depictions of people in the media who are who not only look like you but also are portrayed in a way that makes them seem superior to mm-hmm. other races like for example, like you'll have like TV shows or movies where you'll have a white central main character and you'll have like a black character that's their sidekick but is also perceived to be stereotypically like ghetto or dumb or yeah, giving these mm-hmm. uh, given all these negative traits in mm-hmm. um, that kind of like embeds in people this idea of, okay, superiority uh, for a white person, but then also think about like the little black kids are going to see that on TV and think that, am I really worse than a white person, right? And then that leads to their own like self-hatred as well. And that all kind of like Mm. contributes to each other. And it's just, it's a really, really, really sick entangled web of just mess, basically. (laughs) Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. Also for the connection, I mean, you said connection between psychology and racism but do you think that gaslighting is the one of the psychology that we can connect with racism
2: (sighs) yes of course gaslighting is just so complex because like
1: yes it is Mm -hmm.
2: i know for for example like i even after i had my own experience with racism myself i Mm -hmm. gaslighted myself for so long i was like maybe i misheard what they said maybe that didn't happen to me maybe i'm overthinking the effects maybe i should just Mm -hmm. take it like you know um yeah but then you have to we've been mentally programmed to just take it for so long for in just throughout history right we've been Mm -hmm. uh minorities have been always trained to be the bigger person in in situations where they are the oppressor and you know personally myself i found that like if i fought back against any type of racism i was experiencing Mm -hmm. if i Became the aggressor in the situation, then I would yeah. be made the villain. And I kind of ended up, you know, gaslighting myself into thinking that, like, mm-hmm, these things mm-hmm. didn't happen to me. These things weren't as big as they seemed to me. Maybe I was overthinking in order yeah. to not fall into what people or what I guessed people would want me to become, which would be a villain in a scenario in which I was not. Yeah,
1: that's, that's right. And then, as you said, you say you gaslight just yourself. Like, people even blame the victim being sensitive or emotional. But exactly. I have a quick question. Like, yeah. sometimes people ask Asians, like, are you Chinese or even other ethnicities? And most of the time, it's considered to be racism. Or people even feel offended. But however, what I think is that the word or ethnicity, Chinese or China, shouldn't be a word of offense. Because it's just, like, a one ethnicity. And people actually can ask, because they are curious, like what kind of ethnicity that per- that person has, and people who feel offended can be seen as sensitive. What do you think about this situation, like the controversy of guest lighting, and how can we solve this problem?
2: Yeah, I mean, like that in an, in and of itself is like you know asking someone like their ethnicity is not is not inherently a wrong thing, right? Um, but I feel mm-hmm. like I know specifically, uh, I saw. I think it was like a Comedy Central like skit where this guy, he came in and he asked an Asian woman, like, where are you from? And she said, oh, I'm from like California. I'm pretty sure is what she said. But then the guy asked mm-hmm. again and he said, where are you really from? And I feel like that's, a, that's like such a racist question in my mind because yeah. asking someone where they're really from implies that they are not who they really are. Like they're like mm-hmm. an imposter, like whatever, things like that, right? And I feel like mm-hmm. you know those questions are only generally asked to minorities. Like you're not gonna walk up to a, right, a, yeah. a white person and be like, "Okay, so where That's are you walked, really yeah. from?" Like they're not. Mm-hmm. You're not. People <laughs> just don't say that. But sometimes, but some way, people always turn that around on minorities. Yes. Um, and I feel like it's so weird that we have to answer these questions with like whole DNA results of where, we, of what country we're stolen from to bring to be brought here. I think it's just like so weird. Um, But, yeah, and I feel like, as you said, this situation can be resolved by primarily education, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of these people, um, and I'm not going to say every single racist person is, like, uneducated. Because a lot of them are educated and they use their education in in ignorance to, like, sway the facts to to kind of, like, make only what they want to be true seem true, you know. Mm -hmm. And that's just not how the world works you're like genuinely uneducated people who all they have been taught was that like, you know, they were, they've basically been bred to believe, as I said earlier, that like Mm -hmm. a normal part of everyday life. And I feel like those are the type of people that we need to go in and educate the most. And I feel like education, as I said before, is just like so vital, so important. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And especially to young children as well, because, you know, There's a linkage between like language where, you know, children under the ages of six years old are able to uh, understand and comprehend different languages better than, I don't know, someone our age, someone like 17, right? And Mm -hmm. that same applies, that same concept applies to social concepts as well, which is why Mm -hmm. kids should be taught in young age in schools about, you know, racism, about sexism, about all these different interconnected uh, struggles, you know, so i think education is the main the main solution basically
1: Mm -hmm. like lack of education needs to be solved even from like for younger people because they are the age that they are forming how they think and how they behave so i know this is kind of personal but if you can share your experiences that will be nice like have you witnessed or even experienced any racism or what kind of situation of racism do you feel should be it should be like disappeared
2: Of course. So uh, I guess I'd start off with racism that I'd seen and then go on to uh, Mm -hmm. racism I've experienced. But, you know, I've started to see racism daily. It's exhausting. Like, it's bad enough seeing black death or the death of any person of color on the news. But after becoming more aware of, you know, racism and making that like my entire goal after being part of like the NAACP and things like that, that became Mm a major a major point so to to the point where i've like been seeing racism every day and i guess to the uh extent that i've experienced racism um i guess i mean i'll just read exactly what i wrote on my on my speech just to give you guys like a quick excerpt so uh okay cool so this is from my speech and it says i was blessed to never have overt experiences of racism in my life during key moments of turning of age besides off-handed offensive- offensiveness one would expect from a few video game lobbies. But, as we know, there is no mute button in real life. And even more so, there is no stopping the impending experiences that every person of color must someday face. Mine just happened to be an accumulation of experiences that spurred profoundly from one individual. The first occurred when, at a friend's birthday party, around a year and a half ago while playing a game of hide and seek as they hid behind me they said something along the lines of quote no one will see me behind you because you're a n-word end quote oh. that moment is one that is indescribable it was almost like a blackout to me mm-hmm. i would like to say that there are a million thoughts in my head but there weren't i would like to say that i retaliated but i didn't in fact it felt like it didn't happen. And for some time after, I convinced myself that it didn't until it happened again. This time at a school dance where they commented on my outfit and said, quote, I looked like a slave, end quote. Sometime after, their partner that was at the dance with them came up and apologized on their behalf and comforted me. They said, quote, I, for one, think you look really cool, end quote, she said. In that moment, I felt something wash over for me for a moment, a mutual understanding. Though that feeling last. What I realized is that by them dating that person, they were just as complicit. Then skip ahead a few months later. I'm faced with a similar situation in June of 2020 after someone posted an offensive post on Snapchat that promoted the killing of protesters. I disavowed that post on my own platform. Their friend then Proceeded to sli- sli- slide up on my post, saying that they were not racist because they were dating someone that was black, and then of course I retaliated. I said that's not a usable excuse. Yeah. Then they said, "Well, every school will have a racist person." I was basically shocked the entire conversation, not because yeah. the not only because the arguments the person was using only drew them deeper into a hole of intelligible bumbling but also because I became aware in that moment that not everyone has to ponder their race every day. Sure, the person I was in conversation with may not have been racist, but does protecting someone and to a greater extent, ignoring the problem, make it any better? Um, one of my favorite quotes says, uh, quotes, if you are not racist or rather thoughtless on race, then what else could you be? End quote. And it is attributed to Michaela Cole, who is one of my favorite people in history she's a, a famous television producer um she has her own history of scars and activism um mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. except from my speech that detailed my experiences
0: yeah i remember wow
2: <laughs> that's
0: horrible like as my that's um... my reaction that's super horrible <laughs> and i really agree that like it's such a small moment but when you're the one that's going through it it's just like a huge impact to you and For yeah, sure. it's just, yeah, I'm very shocked at how ignorant these people are. <laughs> um, I know it's and, extreme. ignorance. Yeah. Yes. It's very ignorant. It's just nothing more than that. It's just, yeah. Um, and just kind of going on top of that, um, did you go through any obstacles through your, um, journey with like your organization or any racism
2: yeah for sure um after these events i found myself you know as as i just as i talked about earlier found myself kind of gaslighting myself and you know like who would believe me if i told someone um Mm -hmm. and i kind of threw myself into my work unhealthily by i guess like focusing so much and cutting out like all social interaction during that time um and I had thought back to what I'd seen in history before, like, you know, in the 60s specifically, um, in the case of Ruby, Bridger, or Ruby Bridgers, who was the first black woman, who was the first person of color in general to go to a desegregated school. There were signs while she was walking to school that said desegregation or race, or, race mixing was immoral. Um, and I just found myself like wondering, like, if these things are were happening then and they're still happening now, like, what's the point? Of fighting back, and I kind of fell into like a really dark hole where, like, mm-hmm. I just didn't fight back for so long. I didn't speak out for so long. I couldn't find my voice for so long.
1: That's, cool. That's right. Yeah. I mean, as you said about obstacles, what were some of your biggest achievements throughout your
0: journey?
2: Okay. Yeah. So, my first achievement is that uh, last week, or uh, I guess two weeks ago, I was elected the president of the NAACP Youth Council, which I wow. think is amazing. Uh-huh. Huge step. I know. Um, and I don't know. I just feel like that's a huge step for me because I look up so I look uh, up so much to, like, the current president of that club.
0: Um, he mm-hmm.
2: was, like, a really good friend of mine. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm just so glad that I'm able to be placed in a position of power that allows me to make the change I want to see, at, like, kind of, all these li- all these kind of potential changes lie on me and I think I have so much potential to do a lot of change in the next few months or the next year and I'm so excited about that um and I'd have to say that's like my biggest achievement but there's also a bunch of small victories as well yeah um mm-hmm. speaking out on platforms like Twitter Instagram actually getting people to you know hear me when I speak um, mm-hmm. I've been to different protests um I'd say my favorite one would have to be like the Women's March in 2020 was in January, like right before lockdowns began. Um, then I also went to like an environmental uh, march in, I think, like September of 2019. And mm-hmm. I think getting in communities and actually being in a group of like minded people's achievement one could have. And it's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome.
1: Yeah. That
0: is very like awesome too. And I actually feel honored to be like, doing a sim- same podcast as like the past president of the youth council of the NW <laughs> so sorry. Um that's very cool and like I would never be able to achieve that. And I'm just so like fascinated how like you mm-hmm. went through all these achievements. That's right, yeah. Um and lastly um, do you have any message that you wanna convey to our audience?
2: Of course. Uh, the first and most important message I have is to love each other and to treat each other yes. with kindness. And the second message I have is, Kate, I cannot stress this enough. Um, it is so, so easy to not be educated on race, but it is way, way, way more rewarding to be educated on race and to not only Mm -hmm. fight for the liberation of your people, but to fight for the liberation of people all over the world. Um, And one of my favorite sayings from the NAACP says, we were placed here in this very moment to do something radical, liberation of our people. Mm -hmm. And I think that expounds to the liberation of all POC, really, we all have to fight for one another because all our struggles are interconnected, all our struggles are linked. And until all people of color are free, then no one is free. Yeah.
0: Yes, I was very inspired by that right now, and I really agree that education is like the biggest key to ending racism. And like it, that I don't think it really matters in like education of like history or like the current situation. But I feel like the more educated we are, the more force we have to fight back on racism mm-hmm,
1: that's right For and sure. from this podcast I even learned a lot Sherilyn. thank you and of course yeah, and when you say nobody's born to be racist of course I totally agree and education as you said it's so important people all need to know and that's the one key factor as have been said to solve this problem and so Thank you for joining us today, Chalen.
2: I mean, it's an honor to just be on. I'm <laughs> so happy. This is amazing. Sion and Handra, like what you guys are doing is absolutely incredible.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: So, guys, this is the last episode we are going to cover about racism. And I hope to see you with a different topic.
0: Yes, thank you guys for listening, and you were listening to our 2KG podcast.